Under the radar means hearing about things you didn't know you needed to know until you hear them. It's a serious look. Hear about the issues that don't get the attention they deserve. Under the radar doesn't get caught up in the day-to-day. Surfacing issues that are not talked about in mainstream media. I think it's something that connects us to each other. Under the radar is all about discovery. I can be guaranteed voices I haven't heard before. But also the questions. Under the radar is one step ahead. I'm Philip Martin, in for Callie Crosley, this week on Under the Radar with Callie Crosley. Jazz, one of America's great art forms, has a decorated history in Boston. You hear jazz every weeknight on GBH's airwaves, a radio tradition popularized by our late friend and colleague, Eric Jackson, who began each show with the music you're listening to now by Tommy Flanagan. But what about the venues? In the 40s and 50s, renowned clubs from the Hi-Hat to the Savoy Cafe lined the streets as everyone from Thelonious Monk to Count Basie turned to heat up at local spaces. Even Miles Davis himself made us come back here in the 1980s, playing a string of sold-out shows and resuscitating his career. But today's scene, it's not quite as hip to say the least. From a change in culture to a lack of clubs and urban renewal, we break down the past, present, and future of jazz in Boston. Later in the show, Boston is infamous for a poor nightlife scene despite the huge population of college students and young adults in the city, from bars closing early to the tea-stopping service just before 1 a.m. This is the city that certainly sleeps. We do have a few obstacles um, in our way uh, to changing the narrative uh, of what Boston is perceived to be. We spoke with Boston's new director of nightlife economy, Corrine Reynolds, about how exactly her appointment will change the way Boston runs at night. But first, joining me here in studio... Sue Auclair, longtime jazz booster and president of Sue Auclair Promotions, a Boston-based PR and marketing firm servicing the arts, entertainment, and media industries. Welcome, Sue. Thank you so much. Tessel Collins, host of the Jazz Gallery and managing producer of Jazz 24-7 online radio at GBH. Thanks for joining us, Tessel. Thank you, Philip. And George Chip Greenwich, Jr., founder and director of The Greatest Minds, a nonprofit that works with young students and professionals to become civic leaders. He has been working with the city and others to carve out more spaces for black life after dark in Boston. Hey, Chip. Hey, hey, hey. I'm up in here. Okay. (laughs) Folks, look, New York has the Village Vanguard and Blue Note. Seattle has Jazz Alley. And then there's the San Francisco Jazz Center. We have Scholars, which is a good jazz club, but we used to have so much more, like the, so much more like the jazz workshop in Paul's Mall, the Willow, and the Regatta Bar. Is one venue enough to showcase some of the great jazz artists on the scene today, including those who have been around for a long time, but of course, some of those were up and coming. I'm going to start uh, with you, Sue. Well, we need more. We need more. Um, I think everything is coming back, but slowly, you know, uh, we've had this pandemic, so everything's been shut down for almost three years. But is it but is it something that's more systemic than that in terms of jazz venues, in terms of finding uh, uh, that's 
that space or space is? Well, I'm working on some things. I can't talk about it yet, but I've got a bunch of things in the works, and I don't know where it's all going to fall yet. But throw everything up in the air and see where it goes. But I'm out here trying to support young artists and artists that are very well known, and I'm going to all the clubs that exist all the way up to Portsmouth, to Jimmy's, and everywhere. And you've been doing it for a long time. Oh, yeah. Including the, the cabinet we need the six. Yeah, but I started with Fred Taylor in 1981 and worked on that Miles Davis comeback with him, and the two of us never stopped. And then George Ween hired me, and I was with the Newport Jazz Festival for 21 years as well, so... Well, it's been a, a very interesting life. Well, I, th- I think it's hopeful to hear that you have something in the works because, I mean, you, you sound like this uh, this jazz uh, secret agent. I'm trying. Know? And, uh, you know, <laughs> you know uh, I like that. And, and yeah. Tessel, uh, what, what do you think? I mean, is... I, I think we're doing pretty well. Uh, um, I understand the nostalgia that we, we all uh, share, but when you talk about scholars, when you talk about city winery... Um, when you talk about the places that are generally restaurants that play music, like the Beehive, Daryl's, um, Monkfish, um, we we do have venues where um, jazz artists get to play. We also have um, things like the Celebrity Series that pretty much every other week are presenting some jazz artists at some place like the Berkeley Performance Center or um, uh, any many of the venues they're filling. We just did saw Nina Freelon at the Artists for Humanity space. And then when you talk about what's online, there are three jazz clubs online right now. The Jazz Urbane and Nubian Center. Uh, Richard Taylor has uh, a jazz club planned for his space, uh, also in Nubian Center. And uh, Nia Grace has a spot for the seaport. So while today we may not have anything as um, luxurious as the times in the 80s and the 90s, I think that the, 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 the outlook is really pretty good. And Chip, I'm wondering, uh, do you agree with that or does it feel a little bit ad hoc in terms of uh, jazz uh, at night? You know, I I do want to talk about spaces and places where people feel comfortable to go to. Um, I remember, Jesus, maybe like tw- 12 years ago, there was an editor named Larry Her- uh, Harmon at The Globe. And um, I told him about something. I said, you know, Boston has this feeling where it's called nightclub apartheid, I coined the phrase. And I'm saying that, you know, people of color are usually regulated on the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday nights and the Saturday, Sunday um, and Friday, Saturday, Sundays will be given to, um, you know, pretty much white people to partake to. And so I brought him out and it was interesting. He, we went out in Boston and he went to Cambridge and he couldn't believe all the different things that were happening more fluid in Cambridge. So when we look at the jazz scene, we should look at a greater Boston kind of look at it. If we look at Boston proper, there are many different things. It's interesting. I, I couldn't believe it. I went to Cafe Pacific on 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 um, Saturday. The place was packed full of all Boston people listening to live music. This <laughs> is in Quincy. Jazz, you know what I mean? Jazz yeah, music. music. They were jamming in there. So jazz everyone's music. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everyone's getting in their car and leaving the city to enjoy it. So we need a push. And one thing that Michelle Wu has actually done, she's brought on a nightlife 
czar to actually start tackling this. We were pushing Mayor Menino on this, but he was Mr. Freeze. You know what I mean? <laughs> Push and try to argue with him on anything. He would shut that thing down. So we do have to talk about gentrification. We do have to talk about space and place and where people feel comfortable to. Because you know what? As you look at Renee now, you know, I grew up on Lansdowne. I used to go to the Rat. You know what I mean? Oh. I was 17 running in the Rat with these places where there were some really great places that were, you know what? They were, they were affordable. And now, you know, you can't even go anywhere without, um, you know, with a beautiful glass ceilings and all these other amenities <laughs> where you just want to just sit and just enjoy yourself. You know, but th there's also this thing about aesthetics and, like, places that feel like jazz, like yeah. a jazz club. Yeah. And, and that's part of... What I, I was referencing when I talked about the Village Vanguard, for example, in New York. I mean, you know, it's it, and it's nostalgic, mm -hmm. but it's that positive nostalgic. Well, it's we, like, haven't, we haven't really um, had a space like that since uh, Paul's Ball Jazz Workshop. Yeah. Right, right. But again, right. it was small. When you you got to remember now, we're talking about 150 seat venues. That's right. Or 50 seat venues, and while the the real fresh club that I think everybody can agree with is this Jimmy's uh, Jimmy's um, Blues and Jazz in Portsmouth, which is really a beautiful wow. um, um, room f to hear jazz. Um, How long does it, it take to get to Portsmouth? It's a long ride. If you want to get to a well, 7 o'clock show from Boston on a weeknight, it's a we, long we, we could day. We can find... But it's great. We can find problems yes. <laughs> with getting to jazz Okay. Like 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 Chip said, you got to go to Rockport. Oh, you got to go to um, yep. uh, Cabot, but you can find it within Greater Boston and Cambridge. I mean, Chip's talking about there's plenty of clubs here. They're not doing jazz. They're doing indie music. They're doing um, new neo soul, Afro beats, mm -hmm. Caribbean. Yep. But the jazz um, folks, you know, they they. They they find their places to play, and you and we know that if you, as they say, if you build it, it will, they will come because we know that just from like um, venues like the Newport Jazz Festival, which mm -hmm. is uh, packed every mm -hmm. every year. This past summer was was extraordinary. Yeah, um, but, and, but like like you say, when you they, they will build it, they will come. <laughs> the one thing about Boston is we get excited about something going to be built. <laughs> So three, four years ago, everybody said, Jazzer Bain's going to be in yes. Nubian Square. And I was like, when? When? <laughs> and it's still... It, and it's, well, we and it's, had the pandemic and Well, that's everything. right. Everything the, things were unprecedented. Upside well, well, down. Well, let me, let me ask you this question. Because, of course, I mean, one, there's jazz, of course. And I am excited by a lot of the young jazz artists, uh, those coming out of Berkeley and conservatory and so on and so forth but the one question that people ask me all the time and they've asked this since the since the demise of uh, not just Paul's Mall and the Jazz Workshop but even with uh, when the Regatta Bar started stopped yes. booking major acts uh, if you will and so, but, so the question is where are the big names if you will who used to frequent Boston jazz venues. Obviously, some like Betty Carter, Yusuf Latif, Shirley Horn, and Son Ra have joined the ancestors. But I'm talking about big modern-day artists on the scene today like Greg Reporter, who rarely, if ever, makes it to Boston. And to all, in all fairness, he, he, he travels a lot in Europe. He yeah, plays a lot in but, Europe. But, but, Europe is but, a big but, market. But he was here yeah. last year. 
I mean, those, we don't have clubs. We have music halls. That's right. So the Gregory Porters will play a Wilbur Theater. Mm -hmm. right. um, the Jason Morans will play a Celebrity Series date, or many of the, the jazz artists are coming to the museums, like the ICA or the um, Isabel mm -hmm. Stewart Gardner. Mm -hmm. So the jazz artists are finding venues to play. They're just not the traditional club venue. But also, but also in the city of, of, of Boston and in the greater areas that you know, we have all these great open spaces and we have all these different artists that are young people from the, as you named, the college mm -hmm. students. This is their training ground. This has been great. I remember being 15 <laughs> years old in Harvard Square and giving Tracy Chapman a dollar, I mean, <laughs> from my Aubon Pond. You know what I mean? Yeah. Working at Aubon Pond in Harvard Square. Like, these are <laughs> memories that I have. Yeah. I mean, you know, new edition. You got Phaedra Butler right. out there. You have all these different kind of Lots of people, Maurice Starr, Dwayne Omar, all Woo. these that have all these kind of names in town that have been doing the do. However, you know, it's interesting that, you know, if you name them somewhere else, I think they I think they get more respect than they actually do in their home, even their home areas. And I, I would love to hear your um, uh, feedback on that. Yeah, well, I've been doing a little mentoring just because I want to help sometimes, you know, for a young artist that just graduated from Berkeley. His name is Chuck Jack. Craig Jackson, sorry. I, I don't know where my brain went. But yeah, he's a lovely guy and he plays a mean saxophone. He's got a little band and you know, I've been taking him out to the clubs with me because I get a lot of free tickets, you know. Oh, yeah, come on, you know. <laughs> so, so, the, so you've mentored a, a lot of young jazz artists, and uh, and I think we should say a little bit more about uh, saxophonist and band leader uh, Craig Jackson. Um, he Just recently, his band, Seventh Son, they played at uh, Daryl's Corner Bar in Kitchen on Columbus Avenue. Well, let's take a listen to uh, a little bit of that. Yeah, the band is called Seventh Son. They sound good. And yeah, they're young, and they're really, I mean, he's got an incredible drummer. He has different players for different gigs, but it's tough. You know, full scholarship to Berkeley, you come out, and clubs are still paying like $100 a man, which was the case in the 80s, yeah. right. or the 70s. When you look at these places, though, you're talking about playing jazz in a restaurant. You're at Darrell's, you're having a meal, People are talking, and there's a band over here in the corner doing yep. background music. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's unfortunate that we um, we have to settle for that, um, and we do have a lot of young, uh, up and coming, aspiring artists that play at Wally's, uh, which is you know tiny space, tiny yeah. tiny space, and there's no shortage of young and up and coming artists as you said the um the the breakthrough artists like the christian sands like uh, kevin harris who uh, over at um berkeley college of music um they are performing in their own um shows uh you're in israel put on his um jazz in the sanctuary shows every quarter so 
jazz artists are taking it upon themselves to book themselves to create their own spaces. But has the city of Boston? Play. I mean, we have the Boston Public Schools. I remember in the seventies and eighties, we all had a clarinet and a, and a saxophone in our hand. Did this? This was actually cut out the budget, the arts. Yeah. And, and you know, right now we. I mean, luckily we have the young Greg Groover quartet and right. all these other young, but. These young people are not actually getting, I mean, we're talking about kids that come from all around the country and the world coming here. Where's our homegrown I, I, I was the I was the senior coordinator of uh, arts and media for the Boston Public Schools. So the Roland Hayes Division of Music, the yes. Boston Arts Academy, they're doing their part to, you know, keep the light shining on music in Boston. Yeah, and um, I just finished working with the Hamilton Garrett Music and Arts School on Elm Hill Avenue and those kids are coming there after school. They get the drum ensemble. Yeah. They get but it was an singers. every school. Yeah, I know, but I mean, at least there's something filling that space right now. It's not something. Enough. At, yeah, it's something at every school. But the notion of a dedicated program, uh, like the, those that you're referring to right now, are just extraordinary. But uh, George, what about right here? Just elaborate more. Uh, uh, more about your quest to make Boston more open to black life. Now, there obviously, there are these hopeful signs that we've been talking about in the form of Daryl's in the South End. And by the way, Park 54 at Hyde Park, a uh, new restaurant. Right, right. Uh, but jazz usually revolves around brunch uh, and the weekend. <laughs> so it's not consistent. So how do we basically infuse it into... Um, um, Wednesday through Sunday nightlife, if you will. Excellent, excellent. And it's interesting is that we have, you know, I've seen people just take any kind of open space and, and turn it into something kind of jazz or spoken word and all these different pieces. Um, I've seen people get really creative. I've seen artists get really creative in, um, in, in the city. But it's also interesting, too, is that some people want to just go out to eat, and they said, what do you mean i got to pay a $15 uh, fee to sit in the building and listen to this music. So there's some blockages that are, you know, we hear about the numbers that you guys are talking yeah. about, the, the the same amount that's been paid, and, the, and now it's the same amount. And the artists got to get paid, too. And so we need to get this kind of um, kind of piece around where we do support the arts and the ways that we got to do it. And I think we've kind of been blocked by um, just the limited spaces and places to go. And that's where... You know, people right now are looking, Roxbury, Dorchester, Mattapan right now. It's interesting. The Seaport just opened up maybe 12 years ago. They got 50 liquor licenses, all right? <laughs> Roxbury, Dorchester, Mattapan barely got them on, on two hands, all right? And they've been waiting for years. I, I think you're exaggerating. I, keep on, I am, I am. I'm, I think I'm, you're exaggerating. Push back. But, but, well, I mean, you know, especially on the licensing thing. But the economy is something that we we got to take seriously. Yes. Um, in order to have a club, you need to have real estate. That's right. In order to have the real estate that you're going to put into making it a club venue, uh, you got to have deep pockets, as the folks in Jimmy's do. We were talking about Estelle's. Yes. Estelle's on Tremont Street, right at Tremont Atlantic, which is a condominium, was owned by Frank Williams and John Tinker. Mm. I grew up in that club. For a top floor was a full um, stage. Downstairs was a bar and, and dance floor. And one thing that Frank Williams Sr. and Frank Williams Jr. taught me was that you can't depend on people, to just black people, to support your endeavor. 
So it has to be a little more universal. It has to be a lot mm-hmm. more universal. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. if you want to bring people into Boston, bring people into Roxbury, um, it has to be all people. And right now, um, the cost of coming to Boston to buy a ticket, right on. to right. pay for parking, mm-hmm. the, the reality is, as you said, the club has to make money. The band has to get paid. Um, I'm fortunate enough to be producing shows at Scullers. And it's not cheap to do this. And for the most part, the jazz artists are either getting grants so that they can get paid and then they can give away the music for free. But the idea of paying a ticket is well, a whole other thing. Well, I think, I, well, I, well, I think the, the bottom line is that's how you have to... Look, if we can pay Beyonce, you know, like uh, $500 a ticket... Five hundred. That's cheap. That's cheap. Where is it? I'm going with you. Yeah. Exactly. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, so, certainly you can pay, you can pay a jazz artist fifty dollars, one hundred dollars a ticket because wow. they well, have to. Yeah. The, uh, artists have to eat too. Uh, jazz artists have to eat too. I mean, when you think about, I'm, I'm going to go back to Sue for a second. Think about the model, uh, and I'm not sure how applicable this model is for Boston, but certainly it's true for New York, uh, where the expectation is that you have to pay for that jazz, for that drink, for that venue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so you find lines out the door uh, uh, at, the, at the Blue Note of, of quite often. And uh, think about your career, Sue, when Miles Davis, you helped resuscitate his, <laughs> his career. He, 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 you jump-started his career in Boston after this five-year break he had. Here's a clip of him playing the fast track live at the Kicks Club. This is in 1981. That was an amazing night. I'll never forget it. You were and there. I, I, well, yeah. I mean, I was there too. Fred Taylor hired me at the last minute. What happened was Miles was getting ready to make his return in New York with under George Wayne's auspices, and he called Fred. He was old friends with Fred because Fred had him at the workshop in the mall many years. He said, "Fred, I want to warm up the band in Boston." Fred says. I don't have a club anymore. Miles says, what do you mean you don't have a club? Fred says, okay, I'll find a club. You know, <laughs> And so he rented the back room of Kicks, which was a disco just near where he lived in Kenmore Square. And I ran into him at a house party for a guy that was celebrating his birthday that worked for Concord Records. And Fred said, what have you been doing lately? And I said, well, I just started doing PR. First night it hired me. I was representing a band called Ghetto Mysticism with Stanton Davis. I don't know if you remember. Oh, yeah. And I brought a package to the manager, and she said, I like your style. I want to hire you. So she did. And I went on all the talk shows, and I was out in the street with Liz Walker commentating on the parade. Anyway, I ran into Fred, and he says, I might have a job for you. I said, really? He's, I said, what? He says, I might be bringing Miles to Boston. I'm like, Miles? He goes, shh, don't say anything. He called me like two days later, says, write a press release. We're doing Miles. So, And I typed it, right? There was no computer. There was no fax, nothing. And I called him and Tony up on the phone, and I read it to him, and they said, yay, send it out. And I called Eric, who was on the air that night, 
after 9 p.m., Eric uh-huh. Jackson. And uh-huh. I said, you're not going to believe this, but Miles is coming to Boston. I told him the details. He cut the music midstream, which no one ever does, and he announces this. The, wor- the world was, like, at my doorstep for, like, everybody was my friend. Oh, how do I get tickets? <laughs> we sold the thing out well, four a, nights. Well, Tesla, Tesla got tickets. That's yeah. That's incredible. Four Tesla, nights, you had, two you had shows some connections, huh? I did. Money. <laughs> Money. Money. Oh. <laughs> but, you know, you had to buy the tickets at, at Strawberries Records right. then, Strawberry. and they gave everybody receipts because we had the tickets had to be printed in yeah. those days. Right? That's, that's, that's incredible. So, yeah, and yeah. Miles showed up with Cicely Tyson, and oh, the crowd Cicely. went wow. nuts. I had, a, I had a quick question about um, government agencies. I remember um, friends of mine in the, in the 80s and 90s, they had major problems with the Mass Cultural Council and the way they gave out resources and, and things like that. Now I'm so glad Michael Bobbitt's there been trying to revamp his energy. He's like, listen, we're trying to do some things different. But I just wanted to, you know, ask questions about, you know, getting resources and those grants we're talking about. Was it easy? Was it hard? They, 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 they didn't exist. Mm-hmm. They didn't exist. In the 90s, in, in, in the 90s they did. Yeah. But, I mean, you know, we're still talking 20, 25 years ago, 30 years ago. Um, I, I like to I like to stay the present myself, and right now um, artists can get grants, right? And they can get money. They just have to um, fill out the paperwork, which is the which is the hurdle. So as opposed to someone like Sue or George seeing somebody and saying, "Hey, that you know that Phil man, he 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 can blow that horn. We need to just you know hire him." You got to take into consideration. Well, uh, I like Phil, I like his music, but is someone going to pay thirty dollars a ticket to see him? Right. The good news is we have a twenty-four hour station in Boston that plays local and national folks that you can hear and get to know before you, you know, venture out to see them. Talk about that a, uh, a little bit more, Grant. As Sue knows, about twelve years ago. 14 years ago, um, our station made the transition to Boston Public Radio and took music off the air. And part of the economy, as you're saying, chicken and egg, radio, marketing, stores, you know, it's like a cycle. We feed each other. So when the radio um, took music off the air, except for Eric on the weekends, I was asked to come in and build the Jazz 24-7 station when, um, to fill that, that gap. We are all looking for a way to keep the music in the forefront. So keep, that, the, keep the light so, on. But so that know, we're not just... Back in the day, yeah. when Eric was at yeah. Western Avenue, mm-hmm. we used to, he used to have an hour-long interview every night, four nights a week. And I'd be driving whoever was at Scholars, driving them over there during the breaks in their shows to do interviews. Mm-hmm. And that was huge. Yeah. Those interviews are priceless. Yeah, they are. We, and we, we need to go back to those interviews. I mean, it, that, that, we that, need to archive them. That's right. You know, they're, 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 they're all online yeah. on gbh.org. They are. Jazz. Yes. Ah. That's right, folks. So, yes. well, let's, oh, okay. we want folks to also know that. 
when we're not talking here to, about about the death of jazz. <laughs> no. We're, no, no. We're, t- we're talking about the flourishing of jazz and the need for more venues mm. uh, in in the Boston area and and giving props to those uh, outside of Boston like Jimmy's. And l- let me ask you this: Who's what's the next uh, briefly? What's the next big act to your knowledge that are coming coming back to Boston? I. For example, I haven't heard of Pat Metheny in a, in, right. a, in a while. Where Where is Pat Metheny? He, he, he's playing somewhere right now. He, he, he was he, at the Wilbur about a year and a half ago, and they sold that out. I worked on ago. most right. of his shows over the years with Fred. Fred did a lot of the concerts with Metheny. But Samara Joy is the new hot artist that I just also worked with at the Regent Theater, and, you know, she just won not only Best jazz singer but best new artist at the Grammys and that's huge. That's right. And that's a really important piece for jazz overall to have the Grammys recognize a jazz artist that way. So look, we're, we're, we're winding down. Will there in your view, I should say, will there be a renaissance of jazz venues in Boston? Um, and I mean in, 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 from a realistic expectation, especially in this age of streaming COVID and shrinking radio audiences in some respects. Uh, Tessa? I, I have to say yes. I mean, what's in the pipeline is in the pipeline. Uh, so we can't make a determination of when these places will open. Uh, it's not going to help anybody, I guess, this year. But um, there are those folks that are saying that that's what they're going to do. And we'll see what it looks like. Because, again, we need a bigger place. We need a space that's like a 200 to 500 seat yeah. space that people can, you know, have some there elbow room and <laughs> that whole kind of thing. I'm, I'm hoping it's, promoters, uh, yeah, I mean, well, th- those who own these clubs are listening. I you assume. know, it's, I don't know, you know, it takes a special person to open a club like that. It takes somebody with a good amount of cash and cash that they don't feel worried about losing <laughs> because it's very difficult. It's always been difficult. Okay, we're, t- um, we're talking to folks out in Wellesley right now. Yeah, <laughs> no, no, uh, you know, I mean, I watched, Fortunate. I worked with Fred for Fred Taylor for forty years, and he financed it all with his stock market work. He he knew how to do that if because you could easily do a big show that you thought was going to sell and go down twenty grand. You know, it's it's tricky. Indeed, so, indeed. The chip and uh, jazz. It's interesting. It's um, kids are listening to it. They're they're taking it. They're moving into uh, new art forms with it. Um, you're hearing it in um, lots of different um, um, artists today. And so it is morphing, And but also I think uh, kids are listening and appreciating it. They're using different, um, they're hearing all the different instruments and going back um, to that and some of the albums and the things that um, people are producing. So I think we're, we're going to enjoy it, but also we're going to know that it's going to sound a little bit Afrobeatish. It's going to sound a little hip-hop. It's going to sound all that, but that's a part of, uh, of supporting the whole uh, new genre of how music is played. My people, my people want to thank you for joining me today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, we, we were hearing and we have heard from uh, George Chip. I love that name. George <laughs> Chip Greenwich Jr., founder and director of The Greatest Minds. Sue Eau Claire is the president of Sue Eau Claire Promotions, a Boston-based PR and marketing firm servicing the arts, entertainment, and media industries. And Tessel Collins, the host of the Jazz Gallery and managing producer of Jazz 
24-7 online radio at GBH, the (laughs) Tetzel. Coming up, Boston is a tourism-heavy city, especially during the warmer months. But the city has had a negative reputation for our nightlife for decades. How much does the Boston economy suffer from a dull, after-dark scene? And how can we improve our nightlife culture to promote safety and fun? We spoke with Corrine Reynolds, Boston's new director of nightlife economy, about how she plans to change Boston's social scene. That's next, here under the radar, with my colleague Sue O'Connell, filling in for Callie Crosley. We're going to go out with the great uh, uh, Charlie Parker himself, who recorded an album in Boston in 1953 at the famed Storyville nightclub. Here's a clip of the song Moose the Mooch. (laughs) Thank you. 